Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I am so blessed to have Jennifer Anderson Alonzi, which she is a marketing consultant. Jennifer, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is my pleasure. Really excited to dive into some concepts of marketing and revenue growth and so on. But before doing so, I kind of gave a really small introduction of who you are. Can you talk to us a bit more about that and unpack what you do on a day-to-day basis, who you are and so on? Sure. So I've been doing um, revenue generation in some kind of capacity for my entire career. Um, I have 16 years of experience. I actually started my career in a sales role. So I actually carried a quota in the start of my career, but I was selling marketing services. And then I pivoted and I took a... um, a more internal marketing role and have been doing that for about the last 11 years of my career with some consulting on the side um, more heavily in the last two years. And I am preparing to do that more, um, more as a full-time focused uh, role moving forward. I love that. And thank you for sharing that, uh, Jennifer. And I love having marketers and salespeople on the podcast because those are two main key elements in business. Really, if not two main key, probably is the two main ones. Like there really is the other ones kind of implement those ones. If you don't have sales, you're not going to succeed. If you're not able to market your product, it's not going to get seen. It's not going to get sold. Now, that being said, within your expertise, and you said that you have done some sales before, is there one that is more powerful than another? And if so, which one potentially should be more utilized in the beginning of a startup or a beginning of a career or anything that has to do with launching a product or service? Pretty wide question, but I'm going to kind of take you, uh, let you take take it away. Sure. And when you say one or the other, do you mean sales versus marketing? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's largely going to depend on your business model so and, and what you're going to market with, right? If you're in B2B, I think a lot of times um, as a startup founder, you are the seller. So mm-hmm. for the, you know, for the first um, let's say one to five million, you're probably you probably are the CRO and the mm-hmm. CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an inflection point where you're able to either get enough traction either in revenue or in um customer acquisition where, or even in funding, um, where you're able to step away from doing sales and you can actually take on the real role of CEO. Um, and at that point, you, when you, when you start to build a sales team, it becomes critical for you to also build that marketing team to support them. You can't really have a functional sales team without a marketing team. You're asking too much of your sellers at that point. So I think it's one thing to do it as a founder. I think it's another thing to expect an entire sales organization to function without marketing support. I love that. I love that. So 
like you mentioned, it is very correlated. It's, it's, it's together. It's a support team. Uh, but you yeah. did mention, and maybe I misunderstood here, so clarify if that was the case, but you did mention that the sales can come first, but it should yeah. not necessarily be alone for X amount of time because you're demanding way too much for your sales team towards if you start marketing it, then it could funnel in and then your salespeople could upsell, grow more, so on and so forth. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's especially true in B2B. Now, if you're in a consumer-based business, I think you have okay. to leave the marketing, right? Um, so okay. I think it depends on the business model and what you're really looking to accomplish. Um, I have a startup idea that I've been sort of working on on the side, and it's a consumer-based model. Um and it would require heavy brand. It would be it would require heavy brand marketing, um, and I wouldn't need any sales. There would be no sales component to it at all. Um, maybe at some point there would be some partnerships and channel mar- channel sales, but for the the large majority of the initial build of the business, there would be no sales um, necessity. Okay. So I love that. And I love unpacking this because like I said, a lot of entrepreneurs have this question. A lot of my clients, executives, CEOs, and so on have this ideology when they go and start something new, or they want to dive into something else. They're like, Hey, which one is the one that I should spend my capital at? Especially in the beginning, your capital is not as big as you want it. So you have to be very eloquent and smart of where you invest it. Right? So over here, you mentioned when you are working most gen, we're generalizing over here, guys, but when you're working a B2B, which is business to business, then the sales should be the first thing that supported quite quickly if you could afford it by the marketing aspect. And then when you're B2C, once again, let me put a caveat pending what the actual product you're selling is highly more on the marketing side of things, such as imagine you're selling a online course that's through a click funnel, that's just funneling it. Uh, marketing it, people get to the page and the the page is essentially the sales funnel, which gets the transaction through. Is that essentially what you were kind of talking about and explaining? Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. And I would I think that. also that, um, you know, a lot of founders, they also, they make the mistake of trying to, to focus on demand generation too fast. So they'll, they'll exclusively focus on demand generation when they start doing marketing and they'll forget that they need to do brand as well. And the reality is that oftentimes I'm pulled into startups when they get to a certain inflection point where they're, they're no longer able to scale their demand efforts. It's becoming increasingly harder for them to hit revenue goals. And they're wondering why. And the reason why is because you cannot scale demand without a strong brand. So it becomes very difficult for them at a certain inflection point. They've gotten to a certain point where they've been able to do it sort of manually. Um, and, And now they're stuck. Now they're stuck with these massive growth goals that they will not hit because they've never established brand in the market. Okay. So do yourself a favor and think about the way that marketing really needs to be built is brand and demand in parallel. Okay. So I love that because this is like, I'm getting excited as you're speaking, because this is like, we're going to go into a solid rabbit hole that I think is going to be so much value here. <laughs> so yeah, you're enjoying it. So as we're looking at marketing, you have to understand there's the brand side and then there's the acquisition of client side. Now, obviously, as a entrepreneur, CEO, whatever, you want to get clients as much as possible. But what you're explaining here is you have to be very eloquently approaching of, are you developing your brand 
aka the systems and structure as well. So for yeah. when the sales come in, when the big numbers come in, you could take care of that in a more eloquent way and it won't be overwhelming. Now, that being said, I'm thinking as the entrepreneur, because if I'm working, I'm like, brand development is great, but that's not going to get me any revenue. And it takes time and it's not easy to develop a brand, especially nowadays. How would you speak to that on the aspect of how to build a brand and know that, okay, I have something solid before switching on the waterworks and getting the clientele? Got it. So um, marketing should really be thought of in three um, distinct paths, right? So when I go into an organization or when I'm looking at a, a, in a consulting engagement, I'm looking at a business, I'm really looking at two things. What are the barriers to sale and what are the barriers to scale? And then within that, I'm basically identifying what those obstacles are and not just within the marketing organization, but broadly speaking, um, because those, those obstacles largely exist outside of marketing, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but because marketing is so dependent on other parts of the organization, such as product and operations, customer success, and even sales, you can't look at it in a silo. You truly have to look at the business as a holistic engine. So when you're looking at the business in that respect, once you've identified what those things are that are holding back the business from sale and scale, the next step is to put together a roadmap that tackles really immediate, midterm, and long-term. So in marketing, you're going to always be, you're always going to be parallel pathing these three different um these three different uh, initiatives or, or, or priorities, if you will. You're always going to have things in the immediate that need to be done that are oftentimes very tactical and designed for immediate revenue impact. So these are the things that we have to do right now in order to hit our quarterly revenue goals or hit our quarterly client acquisition goals or um, whatever it is that we need to accomplish X in order to produce this outcome for Y, right? Um, So whether it's you're trying to get funding or you're trying to take it to the next level or you need to hit a certain threshold for your investors or whatever it is, um, that's your immediate. But your midterm is just as important and you have to parallel path your effort. So in addition to to working on your immediate goals, you also have to identify what are the things that I need to be planning for that might not be things that I have to be done right this second, but that need to be completed over the next six months. So these are sort of your your, your, your in-year goals, right? The things that have to be happening within this this year that are going to set you up for success. And then you've got your longer term goals, and that's where brand is. Brand is a long term goal. Demand is shorter term and midterm. Brand is longer term. And you recognize that brand isn't something that you can build overnight. So while you're very focused on more immediate demand generation and pipeline generation, in parallel with that, you're setting a long term foundation so that once you out, basically outgrow your manual demand generation efforts, you have created an infrastructure that supports scalable demand, meaning you have an infrastructure that ultimately you can sort of flip on as a revenue engine, and it will start to produce a more scalable, a more repeatable, predictable pipeline for for your sellers. So that way, as you add more people to your sales team, you can begin to scale out pipeline to support them. Does that make sense? 100%. 
Hundred percent. So we have to look at it in the three categories: short term, mid term, long term, and understand that the long term would be a bit more on the brand side of things. So look at that like the long term, and then put the systems in place. So I love that you you mentioned that. And my next question, Jennifer, over here, when it comes to marketing, as we're kind of talking about the fact that nowadays we're not at all in an information age anymore. We're in an intention age, and there's so much, so much going on. How do we stand out as business owners, as marketers, as somebody trying to sell to a business or sell to a customer? What are some of your tips on that end? Um, okay, so this is something that's so near and dear to my heart. I'm glad you asked this question. Okay. I think in particular in marketing, what I see um, a lot of marketers doing wrong is they're viewing marketing through a very academic lens, which creates very sterile and mediocre marketing, in my opinion. This is particularly true on the B2B side of things. Mm-hmm. You see it less often in consumer because in consumer, marketers tend to be much more creative because they're so much more brand focused. Mm-hmm. So in B2B, what we're seeing is so number one in B2B, there's a lack of data-driven marketing and information-based marketing. B2B marketers typically don't invest money in research. They don't do qualitative or quantitative research like consumer marketers do. So they don't really understand the data behind their customers. And I don't just mean, you know, journey maps. I mean, emotional insights into their clients. I mean, understanding the psychological components Mm. that drive somebody's decision to buy, right? Because marketing is more psychology than anything else. Mm -hmm. And we're not approaching it that way. On the consumer side of the business, the consumer marketers understand this. They understand that so much of our behavior is driven by our psychology. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to understand what it is that ultimately, what are the levers that you pull to influence somebody to take an action? And it goes so far beyond just an ebook or a podcast, right? It's not about the channel. It's about how you connect emotionally with your audience. So what I always like to tell people is worry less about where you are putting your message in market and worry more about understanding your audience in a very deep and meaningful way. Know your customer better than they know themselves. Know them at such a granular level that you understand how they think, where they spend their time, what they are worried about, not just related to your product, but you understand inherently what it is to live day to day as your customer. And once you can do that, now you can really put yourself in their shoes. You can begin to market to them in a way that will truly connect with them. It becomes less about channel orientation and it becomes much more about message orientation. I love that. There were so many golden nuggets there. Let me just highlight a couple of them. So the main thing that we would have to highlight over here is, first of all, as a business owner, as anybody that's going to start marketing, understand the avatar of your ideal client before doing anything. Second thing that you went into, avatar is one thing. That's numbers, the age, the the affluency, whatever they make income. But then understand their psychology and how they approach buying, which is 100% marketing. If you look at it, like I have actually... 
a background in NLP and I'm a geek when it comes to understanding the brain and the, the biomechanics and how to utilize it to your advantage to be peak performance. These are things that I teach to my executive coaching clients, but to understand it on the framework of when you're selling certain things, saying certain things, when to say it, when to do the call to action, how to approach it, when to talk about the pain points before delivering the solution is so important what I'm understanding what you're saying. Now, as you were saying this, instantly had a question. What are some of the things that people are not doing right now when it comes to marketing for them to really implement some of these social psychologic, that's not even a word, but the psychology terms in itself. So what are some of the things that you could say or speak to so people could learn from this podcast and utilize next time they are going to do a marketing campaign or next time they are going to do a sales conversation with a potential client? Yeah. Um, I would say message strategy is the thing that I see so consistently um, needing work in the market Um, regularly. I mean, almost nine times out of 10, when I go to look at a company on LinkedIn, their LinkedIn page, um, because that's oftentimes where I start. Now, not everybody's me. And that's the other thing we have to remember, just because you do something doesn't mean that everybody else does something, right? True. Now I am on LinkedIn heavily because I'm in marketing, that I'm a different persona than somebody else. But if I go to your LinkedIn page and I want to read about who you are and what you do, and it's a bunch of jargon and it's not a super crisp message. Here's the sniff test. If my 78-year-old mother doesn't understand what you do, you're failing at your message. Okay. You have got to have a super crisp, clean value proposition. It has to be very clearly articulated, and the value of it has to be very clearly articulated. Companies get so hung up on sounding smart mm. that they forget that simplicity is everything. Simplicity I- is everything. I, I love that. Just that little soundbite of simplicity is everything. And you're so right. We we hide behind these big words. We hide behind these, these terms and we hide behind some of like professionalism as much as possible. So we could look a certain role or look professional or be perceived as succeeding or so on. But the main thing the consumer wants and the like biggest strength is take something complicated and put it in a way that people could digest it take it and retain it at the highest level possible. And that's what high-end marketers and strategists and all of those people do in itself. So I love that. The 70-year-old mom thing kind of stuck to me. Like, all right, if I show my page to my mom, which is not 75, and she's going to be listening. She's like, what are you talking about? My mom's not 75. But if anybody at 75, you show them to that, are they going to understand? So I, I love that approach. And Jennifer, another thing that I saw within some of the things that I was researching on your LinkedIn, on your stuff, you do say that you do certain things unconventionally. Now I'm understanding within your energy that I get that. And it's very much a positive thing, but I want you to unpack that because it's one of the main words that you use to describe yourself as a marketer, as a consultant. So how are you unconventional compared to other people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I don't, I don't view mark. So I think in marketing, there's sort of an accepted playbook, right? I think marketers tend to rely on this playbook. I see it happen in hires that I make. They'll come into the organization. They'll be like, oh, well, we have to produce eBooks. Why? Why do we have to produce eBooks? How do you even know anybody's reading eBooks? 
Um, we have to do webinars. Why? Why do we have to do webinars? How do you know our C-suite buyers have time to attend mm -hmm. webinars? Um, these are questions that we need to be asking ourselves just because people have done it in the past, just because it's worked in the past doesn't mean it will continue to work. And I think what's really important in marketing is that uh, the, somehow marketing, marketing people in particular get comfortable in a rinse and repeat cycle and marketing of all things should not be a rinse and repeat cycle. In fact, I would challenge that if your marketing looks the same this quarter that it did in the first quarter, you have a problem. Your marketing cannot remain the same quarter over quarter. You should be evolving your marketing and you should be taking some risks and you should be trying new things because otherwise you're getting stale. And, and ultimately, it does need to evolve. It has to evolve. And, and you should be evolving. You should be learning and you should be evolving and your mind should be changing as a result of what you're learning. And I don't see enough marketers doing that. So I, I'm, I'm a person who will tend to challenge the status quo, even if it's something that I've always done in the past successfully. I ask myself, does that mean that it will be successful here? And I don't assume it will. I don't just assume it will. I ask myself if this is the best way to be doing it. And can there, can I make it, can I do something even more successful here? I love that, Jennifer. So essentially the main thing that came out over there is innovate. Even though it's yeah. working for you, look at what else can you do different. Scratch it. Be uncomfortable. Maybe be a bit more goofy on your uh, post if you think that that's something coming out of your comfort zone. And then you analyze. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. But if you don't try, you're not going to know. So I love that. Like quarter to quarter is quite significant. So we're talking about every couple of months over here. You have to look at it and be like, okay, has this been working? Yes, no. Even if it is, what can we do different? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. And that's definitely something that going to highlight it. I'm actually going to take down and speak to my team with uh, about that aspect. And one last question that I want to ask you, Jennifer, over here, as this is the Peak Performance Greatness Show, and I truly believe as I have been coaching hundreds of C-suite executives, going to Fortune 500, giving speeches and so on, and I've realized the most high achieving people have solid rituals and habits that they do on a daily basis to succeed. Now, granted, you look extremely successful with everything that you're doing. And I know that you have some great habits and rituals that bring you to this peak level. So my question to you is, Jennifer, what are some of these habits and rituals that you do on a daily basis to be peak performing such as you are? Mm. Well, um, that's an interesting question. So things for me have continued to evolve. So my, I don't tend to have a fixed routine. Mm -hmm. My routine tends to evolve regularly, um, mm -hmm. so which is interesting now that I'm thinking about that. So, like my current routine right now, I'm very news centric right now, and by news centric, I mean I'm consuming um, a lot of information, just a lot of different types of information, and some of it very contrarian types of points of view, and I'm doing it deliberately to challenge myself. I'm doing it deliberately to challenge myself to think through things from a different perspective. And I'll give you an example of how that has actually caused me to rethink things I've always found to be true. Um, during, um, and this is probably a little controversial, so I don't know if, if, you know, feel free to edit this out if you like. No, let, let, let's dive into it. I, I love deep conversations. I'm somebody that really believes to, to develop and, uh, 
push yourself out of your comfort zone. So to go against things that you believe is the only way you're going to sharpen your saw. And you could look yeah. at it, get the information and say, Hey, does this make sense? Yes. It doesn't make sense. That's okay as well. There are, and there should be always two different opinions. So hundred percent, let's dive into it. I'm excited. Okay. So, um, this, you know, I've been thinking a lot about some of the, well, since really the last year, um, with all of the racism and, um, hatred that we've seen particularly towards, um, Asians with, um, COVID, right. So Mm -hmm. there's been a number of attacks on Asians in particular because of COVID and there's all this anger towards people who are of Asian descent, who have nothing to do with COVID being a disease in our population. And yet they're bearing this burden. And as 9-11 came about, I started to think about how the same thing happened to the Arab community post 9-11. And it really caused me to think back to the last 20 years um, when when 9-11 happened, I was in college. And at the time, I remember, um, because my father's from the Middle East, I remember okay. feeling this like very, um, you know, I felt this very strange um, feeling of like, you know, I felt this strong nationalism. I felt swept up in it like everybody else did in America. And yet, on the other hand, I was watching the impact it had on my actual family. And I think that a lot of people, particularly people who are of white descent or who look white like I do, they didn't experience post 9-11 in the same way that people who didn't look white experienced post 9-11. And there were plenty of people who are, you know, Arab Americans, people who were born and raised in America who look Arabic or who are of a Muslim descent or have, you know, or a Muslim religion who were treated like outsiders or like the enemy simply because of those variables. And and that, and that is the most un-American thing I can think of. And as I was thinking through the last 20 years and what we've done as a country, it really upset me to think about that because all these people, I'm seeing all these people post these things online about how it was such a time that we all came together and blah, blah, blah. And while it's true, some of us did come together. And while it's true that what happened was horrific, we also need to see it for the full picture that it is. And in the full picture, we did some awful things and we allowed our anger to turn to hate and we allowed our hate to turn into vindictiveness. And we allowed that to impact people's lives in ways that are, that's just not okay. It's just totally unacceptable. And it's the most anti-American thing I can possibly relate to. I mean, it's just, I, it's just upsetting to think back to it. And so this was the first year that I looked at 9-11 through a different lens that maybe I wouldn't have looked at if I hadn't been exploring some of those things in our society already that I was exploring issues of race and issues of religion and just challenging myself to see things through a different lens that maybe I had previously. Wow. That, that was, that was amazing. That was a lot to unpack and you know what, I'm going to do my best to kind of do it and to kind of support what you're saying, because oddly enough, that was something I was recently thinking about as well. Not recently through this whole COVID thing. Like I said, as I'm a peak performance coach, I get a lot of these conversations with 
everybody that's like, hey, why is my business closed? Why is this happening? What's that? What's this? And we talk about the human psychology and the human brain understanding how that goes. So essentially this question kind of started off the, what is your habits and rituals? And your habit right now is to watch news, listen to the news, read the, uh, the articles and so on. So what you're doing is that you're stretching your belief and you're trying to look at what are the other ways that we could think about this, which is really interesting. And if you permit, Jennifer, this is the way that I've kind of broken it down to when it comes to anything that's crisis, when it comes to anything that's challenging for human beings. First and foremost, you have to understand that if you want to go through these processes and be somewhat successful, you have to have control of your emotions. And if we correlate it to the beginning of COVID, one example that's very fresh, it was chaotic and panicking because we didn't know what was happening. Everybody was going through the groceries, buying toilet paper like it was the end of the world. And we didn't know why that was, but everybody was doing it. So we were doing it as well. So one correlation here to understand is that when emotion is high, logic is low. So first thing you have to understand your emotion, right? Now, granted, as a leader, as a person, you don't want to just be extremely uh, low emotion either. Then you don't have empathy. We want to be somewhere in the equilibrium state because you want to have empathy. But at the same time, you want to take a step back and look at what is the rational way to look at this. And you get talked about 9-11. That's the first step that you have to do if you want to go through this. Second step that I teach and I kind of develop over here is that you have to have a critical mind. Now, what do I mean by critical mind? And this is what I think you're like thing that you're practicing right now is your critical mind. Because like we previously mentioned on this podcast, we're no longer in the information age. The information is there. We are in the attention age. There's so much attention, so much information coming our way from the flat earthers to the this, that political party, this, that, and the other. There's too much. If you haven't developed your cognitive, creative mind in a way to, to think about it in a critical way to look at it be like is this right is this wrong is this correct to my value yes no or so then you won't be able to like you'll be able to pick the proper one and go with it if not your emotion is going to control you you're going to follow the crowd negative or positively towards certain things that you said with people being like hey after 9-11 the arabic community the muslim community took a hit uh now with covid the asian community took a hit for no logical reason. If anybody is yeah. doing that, I truly believe, and I'm going to say it out loud here, they're just not critical thinkers. If anybody yeah. could take a step back, number one, control their emotions, because you could be a critical thinker, but if you're not controlling your emotion, you're not going to do it right. So first you have to control your emotions. Then you have to have that critical approach. So I don't know if that resonated with you, but that's the way that I've kind of unpacked and unbroken and I've taught to my entrepreneurs, CEOs, and so on, if that's the way you have to look at these things. If not, you're not going to succeed in life because today's COVID, tomorrow is something else. It's just yes. normal. It's life. You have to be curious. You have to be, you have to be curious enough to ask a lot of questions. 100%. And if you're not asking questions, you, I think are, you're just going to allow yourself to be complacent. You're going to allow yourself to be influenced by other people's opinions. And I don't believe, look, I I think that most of the world isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray, right? And so understanding that it means that when, when you finally come to the conclusion that there's so much gray, well, in that sense, then now you can see multiple shades of gray. Well, Mm -hmm. look through multiple shades of gray you don't have to agree with everyone, but you should be able to understand multiple viewpoints. And if you can't do that, 
If you can't do that, you're not asking enough questions. I love it. I love it. And Jennifer, I mean, that was delicious. I'm going to invite our audience, the listeners and the viewers to comment because this was a, a back end of a very, very, very like uh, heavy subject and not heavy in a negative way, but a very uh, like powerful subject that we went into. So I would love to see what the community is going to say on that. end. so go ahead and comment it. And before letting you go, Jennifer, I just want to really take the moment to kind of ask you, what is the best place that our community can contact you towards if they want to get consulting in marketing, so on and so forth? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, I think right now LinkedIn is probably their best bet. Um, I'm listed under Jennifer Anderson Alonzi and Alonzi is spelled A-L-O-N-Z-I. There's no one else with that name, I promise you. So you will find me very quickly. I love that. I'm exactly the same thing when I spell out my family name, Derian. After I'm done, like as soon as you got the spelling right, D-E-D-Y-N, you're not going to confuse yourself with anybody else. I mean, there's one Christopher Derian. So at least we have that in common. I love that. So Jennifer, <laughs> let me just thank you for being here, being so present, talking about marketing, talking about the ideology of certain approach, how to have a cognitive mind, how to understand uh, the marketing when it comes to the biochemistry of the mind. Thank you for all of it. It was definitely delicious. I truly enjoyed this podcast and I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didian. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.